Damn, man, I like those glasses. I don't think I've ever seen you with glasses on. Yeah, I just, I need to take a break from contacts, man. So sometimes I just throw them on, especially days that I'm not training. I'm just like, I'm just going to throw on mm. my glasses. Like working out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because then they get all foggy, right? Yeah, they get all foggy. And then like my depth perception is all off. And yeah. they're just yeah. annoying. When it comes down to it, it's more of a hassle than anything. So I was just like, whatever. Yeah, you know? I have a couple clients who wear glasses and like we'll be working out and they'll just start fogging up like crazy and then they'll be like, right, yeah, take these things off. <laughs> yeah, and then you take them off and then like your depth perception is off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then you got like, if you're squatting, you got to close your eyes yeah. <laughs> and imagine where you are and all that stuff. It's, I guess I, that could be kind of a good thing, right? Kind of visualization. Yeah, sorry. but, yeah, but it, it just throws your whole proprioception off. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're not if you're not used to it, it can get really squirrely. Because I don't closing think I recommend it. It has to be something that you do, like that you practice, right? Yeah. You can't just start closing your eyes and squatting. I w- I honestly wouldn't even try it. I just kind of attempted a body weight squat, eyes closed, and it's it's all, like all like depth perceptions off, like equilibrium yeah. is the way thrown. Yeah. Off. Because you literally have to visualize yourself, which is interesting because that, that's a good indication of like body control. If you can perform a movement with your eyes closed the same way that you would perform it with your eyes open, that would, uh, that's a good indicator of how connected to the body you are. Yeah, definitely like surround. Because I know like that kind of links back to proprioception, like that body awareness, like being mm-hmm. able to like, you know, like sometimes with clients working on balance, uh, they'll be able to do something easy, like just regular one foot. And I say, okay, do the same thing with, with your eyes closed. And then it's like, boom, it's like a total switch. It's yeah. Yeah. I think that body awareness, I think that's important. Like for my, like for my athlete athletes, like especially guys and gals that are playing sports. Yeah. I think knowing where your body stands in space and understanding how it's moving and stuff like that. It's something that I feel like is overlooked. Definitely, man. I really like Mike Boyle's work where mm-hmm. he is like such a big believer in like sit like he is like a single leg movements almost only for athletes, you know, which is uh, has always yeah. been kind of interesting to me because it makes me kind of wonder like, yeah, but what about, you know, your bilateral squat and deadlift and yeah. you know, everything else? Yeah, you know, I, this is actually a good topic. So the the question that I kind of ask myself and like and then it kind of helps me when it comes to, because I coach different levels. I, I coach all levels, right? I coach from, you know, I, I have eighth graders, right? right. <laughs> to like adults, right? And it's like, let's just look at the athlete itself, right? When is it appropriate to be working on those types of movements, right? Because I see there are coaches out there that purely just work on like bilateral movement with like younger athletes and just like skill work. And then when is it appropriate to get them under a bar and like teach them how to perform a, a squat or how to perform a deadlift or how to perform like a bench press or just any of the big compound movements, mm-hmm. right? I know for me, I think it's very important to build a foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think the compound movements are going to be what's important for the younger guys. And then as they develop, right, as they get like develop into their bodies, right? I think then you can start sprinkling in the skill work, right? So I look at like a collegiate athlete, they would actually benefit from the, like the skilled work 
because they should have been taught foundationally how to do some stuff already. Mm-hmm. But I almost see the reverse of that, right? I see like they're very skilled, but then all of a sudden when you put them under a bar, it's just, it's bad. Yeah. Like, like it's, especially with younger, like high school athletes, like I'll see kids get under a squat, you know, barbell squat and it's like hips are shifting, knees are knocking. Yeah. And it's like, that's the stuff. And of course, like we, I think we were talking about this either last week or two weeks ago where we were saying, especially starting out, like it doesn't have to be like an actual barbell deadlift or squat. Like it can yeah. be a goblet squat, just training the body how to move in that squatting pattern so that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because squatting is something we do every single day. Mm-hmm. All that other stuff that athletes are doing on the field and the way it's kind of been taught to me when I did my internship at a performance center was basically like when somebody's like a really talented athlete, they're already like gifted with the performance stuff of, you know, like laterally cutting and and being able to be explosive and fast. So it's like integrating the strength work is super important because on the field, they're not getting that strength aspect. You know what I mean? Correct. They're They're not squatting. They're not deadlifting on the field, of course. So introducing those movement patterns are really crucial But what I would say is with unilateral movements, it's also super crucial because in any sport, you're almost always on one foot at a time, you know, like for split seconds, you're on two. But if you're running, that's all like, you know, you're transferring really quickly on one. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that goes for everybody too. Like I notice a lot of people do mainly only bilateral movements, which even for the athlete, as in like the everyday individual, the, you know what I mean? The office worker only doing bilateral movements also isn't going to be very supportive, like for just functionality, like lunging and stepping and lateral lunging. And I mean, single leg RDLs are probably, I would say one of the more difficult unilateral movements. I still even have a hard time doing a single leg RDL, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely like a, a pretty advanced movement, but all those unilateral pieces are super important too. Cause especially like if somebody is imbalanced, you know, somebody could be right dominant or just have mm-hmm. like be tighter in the glute on the right and tighter in the adductor on the left leg. So then, you know, some of these words to people listening might be like, what, what's he saying? But that's going to create like a shift in, in compensation. So it's like fixing that can be really good through doing unilateral stuff, like yeah. you know, strengthening that left glute by doing a single leg glute bridge or something like that. So yeah, man, it's, it's pretty amazing what goes in. I feel like anything can work as long as it's like, you take the time to build it out, right? Yeah. You, like any program out there can work. Definitely. But it's up to the coach that they literally have to take the time and see the, like not only see the full picture, but, can dive into it from a individual perspective, right? From week to week, macro to macro and, and, and so on, meso to meso and so on and so forth. And that's why the industry is like, so it's great because you can literally do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, as true. long as it works, it works. But there is the fact that people do throw crap at the wall and hope that it sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where it gets a little squirrely. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, if I do a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and put it together and make it seem fun. And all of a sudden, like yeah. it's, it becomes a, it becomes a fad or something like that. Yeah. yeah you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. And you know, it's funny. You said something that really stuck out and it was that basically that almost anything can work. It's always like one of my 
he's actually my coach now, but he was like the mm-hmm. director at, at my internship. He would always say to me, it always depends. There's no right or wrong exercise. Yeah. So it's like anything really can work. It just depends on the individual. And it's yep. like, you know, you could, yeah. Like that, you know, the basic, like five by five program that like, yeah. that was the very first strength training program that I ever did. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it, I mean, it was efficient. I got stronger. I got, yeah. you know, I, I put on mass and size, but I didn't have a foundation. I was building strength on two by fours rather than on concrete. So yeah, uh, that led to a lot of injuries for myself. And, and I, I might've brought this up before in the past, but yeah, you know, that's where I feel like when we say like, everybody should have a coach like that. I definitely believe that. I yeah. think that it's about like, you know, even to the mere fact of everyone should have a coach, like just going for an assessment, like a movement assessment and, and just basically having somebody assess you and understand how the body's moving and what your goals are to be able to point somebody in the right direction. And it doesn't have yeah. to be a coach that's like with you, you're paying them monthly or all the time. I mean, I would recommend that because there's so much value in that, but it's like just to at least simply be pushed, pointed in the right direction because a lot of people get misconstrued with like, you know, there's a lot of Instagram stuff that goes on out there and it's good content for the right person. But I feel like people end up like going into this, like this category that, oh, like if he's getting these results from this, then That's- if I do the same thing, I'm going to get the same results. But then two weeks they're blowing their freaking disc. In their that's, spine. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly what I like. It's one of those things where I feel like everyone that comes across my desk, right. I have to look at them as an individual. They're going to have different needs, right? So I can't just do a cookie cutter and, you know, and just provide them a program and then like, go like there's, there are some things that I can kind of categorize people in. Like, for example, smaller athletes, right? A smaller athlete is going to have a quicker recovery time. And this is what I've just been able to find through experience. And also it's, it's out there, right? You know, there's some people that wrote about it. Smaller athletes are going to have a quicker recovery time than a bigger athlete. And so you can kind of pack a smaller athletes programming and the recovery time is not going to have to be as lengthy as a bigger athlete. Right. And then also you got to take into consideration their level. Right. Mm. So if like I have like a small elite and I have a big elite, guess what? The bigger athlete is probably going to need way more recovery time than the smaller elite athlete. Really? I yeah. knew that. This, I yeah. knew that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So is that, what's it have to do like with muscle length? Or like, I think it's just with the just pure size. Yeah. So it's going to take a bigger, a bigger, a bigger athlete more time to recover than the small. Athlete. And there's signs to back it up. So yeah. all of you folks out there, if you want to go look it up. You can look it up. And I think Chad, we- Chad Wesley, the juggernaut dude. Yeah. 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 I think he writes about that. And so like, it's like, it's like things like that. That's really important that the standard person that's working out won't even know but what type of an athlete am I? Am I yeah. a bigger athlete or am I a smaller athlete? Am I kind of in the yeah. middle? Yeah, and so totally. when I'm looking at athletes, I'm already assessing them that way. And the other thing that kind of proves it is I couldn't run the same program as Paula. And mm-hmm. Paula's my wife, everyone, <laughs> everyone out there. She's a power lifter and she's tiny. She's a um, beast. I couldn't, I would die on, on her program. <laughs> Literally, I, I, I would. Like, I wouldn't last two weeks. Nervous system would be shot. But for her, 
she can rip right through them. And now she's getting to, she's starting to lift at an elite pace for her weight mm-hmm. class. But like, if I try to literally convert her numbers to my numbers, I'll give myself two weeks. Yeah. Damn. So, you know, so is if, it like a higher, she has more volume, like in her. No, it's so the volume would be, would be the same for the both of us. Okay. Right. But it's just the frequency. Okay. I see. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like she could literally afford to squat three times a week. Oh, damn. At almost the same percentage. Right. Oh, wow. So like the way it's broken down is you have a volume day, you have a recovery day, and then you have an intensity day. Okay. Right. And so that's for that's for squat and bench. And then deadlift is the only lift where we're not doing it multiple times a week. And if I tried to run that same thing, tried to squat literally three times a week like that at that high rate, I'm burning out. Yeah. I literally need from that big volume day, I need that rest. Right. Mm-hmm. So that I can come back fresh without hurting myself. Yeah. Right. So like one of those Russian programs, like I've tried the Russian program mm-hmm. and I ended up burning out because I couldn't recover fast enough. Yeah. The Russian programs where they squat like seven days a week or something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 20 days a week. Yeah. <laughs> 20 days a week. <laughs> <laughs> but I guarantee you like a smaller elite athlete would be able to bang that out. Yeah. That's crazy. That's Pretty crazy. easy. That's cool because I didn't never knew that. I think that goes like back to what we were just saying that that everybody has a different need for Correct. for working out. Like, and the other thing too to really take into consideration for a lot of people, I always tell people like to be realistic with themselves. Like, what is your yeah. work? What is your work life like? You know, what is your personal life like? Like, what do you actually have time for? That is going to fit your lifestyle because yeah. overdoing it is what creates like burnout really fast and just like kind of deters people from even wanting to get healthy or start exercising because it's like it just becomes this like, oh, it's taking over my life where it doesn't have yeah. to be. To me, in my opinion, it should become a part of our lives and not overrule us, but at the same time be a big pillar in our growth and development as individuals is you know, strength training and exercising, you know, we have to find a way to integrate it. And as coaches, we have to help people a healthy way to integrate training into their lives because training is for most people, training is just something else that they do. right? Right, Right. Where for me, I've learned for it to become like, it's part of my daily practice, Mm. right? Just like meditation is part of my daily practice. Training is part of my daily practice, right? Because it fulfills me in a certain way that meditation doesn't, Mm -hmm. right? For me, it's no longer iron therapy or, you know, that's, I go to the gym because I, I, that's my way of meditating. No, that's meditation is meditation. Training is training. (laughs) It's so funny that you say that because so many people think that and so many people will say like, you know, oh, this is my time, like, which... So I'm going to, I'm going to contradict myself here in a second, but like exercising, like helps me calm down and like, Mm -hmm. you know, de-stresses me, which it can be true because it can be a really good way to clear the mind in a good way and kind of like get some of that pent up energy out. But at the same time, exercise is stress to the body and exercise is very yang where like meditation is very yin. So it's like yeah. they're two separate things. So like yeah. when someone says like, oh, that is my meditation, which I can't take that away from somebody, you but can't. I would say 
I would say maybe look at it a little bit different as like exercise might be a way to help clear yourself, but you're still expending energy. Whereas like resting and, and I was just saying to a client the other day, I was, I was telling him, I'm like, listen, man, when I say meditation, I'm not just talking about like, you know, you, cause a lot of people think get turned off by that word meditation because it's like, oh, they think of like Buddha, you know, floating under the Bodhi tree, but it's like, meditation. And again, we talked about this last time. I'm pretty sure it can be anything. It doesn't have to just be sitting in crisscross applesauce. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, just lying down on the ground and, and just like freaking breathing. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I've never felt stress when I'm meditating. It was never something that when I do it, I don't feel like I'm fighting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What I feel is a sense of openness. What I feel is a sense of calm and just presence and just yeah. listening to my body and what my body's yeah. offering. Yeah. Now, when I'm training, I'm present. I'll tell you that much, <laughs> but I'm there to give my body a certain thing. Right. And because yeah. all sorts of chemicals are shooting off in your mm-hmm. brain and your body when you're in that training state. Mm-hmm. Right. And you get the feel goods, right. Mm-hmm. When you're training for me, meditation is, is slightly is on the other side of it. Like you said. Yeah, the yeah um, man. Like it's funny because like, this is why recovery is so, is so big and I have a little side story, but exercising, like we have to literally put our bodies through that, like that, those, you know, those heavy lifts in order to grow muscle, in order to mm-hmm. grow strength. So it's literally like we're putting our body under necessary stress because it reacts and is like, holy shit, like we got to move all this weight all the time. Okay. I need to like build up. You know what I mean? Which also means, okay, I need to recover and I need to rest. And a lot of people don't understand that recovery piece. And I will let the listeners and everyone know that I get it because for me, it was my ego that would always creep in like, like, oh, nah, man, you skip tomorrow. Oh man, you take two rest days. You're going to shrivel up. You're going to lose all that strength. You're going to be just a freaking couch potato, you know? And um, that is just a totally altered state of mind, really. Um, Now that I have a little bit more awareness around that is where it was like, that was actually just insecurity, just bleeding through in the sense of like, oh, I have to work out because if I don't like, then I'm- The fear of shriveling. The fear of of shrinkage. (laughs) Which, yo, I kind of want to transition because I had something I wanted to bring today because it kind of of goes back to what we were talking about last week. And I wanted to bring this up and hear a little bit more from you, what you kind of feel about this and, you know, just kind of what comes up for you. And I'll also explain what comes up for me. So I'm reading that book, Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And I, mm-hmm. I really like it. It it's it's so funny how it just listened to his podcast with Big Sean. And then I was like, oh man. and I never listened to Jay Shetty or I hadn't up until this point. And I was Big Sean's yeah. like, Yeah, I'm reading your book right now. So I was like, yo, I'm gonna get the book, check yeah. it out. So he has a whole section where he goes into ego when he really starts kind of exposing it and explaining it and talking about it. And I think a lot of the listeners, men and women, both can hear this and probably relate. We all have an ego, you know, everybody, everybody does. It's about like how we deal with it and how we, I would say how we interact with it would Mm -hmm. be kind of my expression of it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's just a couple of quotes where it's talking about, he basically is going into, there's a difference between confidence and high self-esteem and ego. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. here we go. I'm going to read this. Because I wrote it down. I'm actually, I'm going to print this and I'm going to frame this and I'm going to 
put it in my office at work or nice. really at home because I just think it's to me, it was really powerful. So it says the ego wants everyone to like you. Self-esteem is just fine if they don't. The ego wants to prove itself. Self-esteem wants to express itself. The ego fears what people will say. Self-esteem filters what people say. The ego compares to others. Self-esteem compares to themselves. The ego wants to prove themselves. Self-esteem wants to be themselves. The ego knows everything. Self-esteem can learn from anyone. The ego pretends to be strong. Self-esteem is okay with being vulnerable. The Mm -hmm. ego wants people to respect them. Self-esteem respects self in others. So I'm actually going to share my screen with you just so you can actually like see it in case like, you know, you kind of want to like re-go over that because I just thought that was super powerful. And I can even go into a little bit of my experience with this because I think that when I think of performance for life and I think about our podcast, like I'm constantly thinking about it and how it's not just about the weight training side of things and how, you know, the personal development is so important. And just the first line, literally the first line, the ego wants everyone to like. I spent most of my life trying to get everybody to like me and wanting everybody to like me in whatever, whatever that took, you know, trying to be a people pleaser, trying to impress people by how strong I was or how quote unquote masculine I was. And the more that I, I was able to kind of look within myself. I began to realize like, oh man, like when I love myself, I'm okay when people, mm-hmm. people don't like me. That's okay. There's some people out there that I'm not a big fan of. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I feel that way, I'm sure there's someone who feels that way about me. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. And then also just like the ego fearing what people will say and filtering, you know, being able to hear someone really listen to what somebody's saying, especially like in those moments of like reactivity, you know? And I think the other one too was wanting to prove something, pretending to be strong, knowing Mm -hmm. everything, because that comes up a lot. And he he mentioned something like, you know, notice when you're in a conversation with someone and try to focus on just listening rather than trying to jump in and one up that person in whatever they're saying or, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's crazy, man. Like, I noticed it like happened so many times, like even like on, I think back to podcast episodes, I'm like, damn, like you or Pat might be saying something and I want to be like, oh, well, I, I have this piece of information. Like I'm going to like, you know, show mm-hmm. them how smart I am, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I think it's, it's so important for us to look at those areas and see really where that stuff is stemming from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of want to hear your, your perspective on that. This is the stuff that I, I now live off of this stuff, right? Because, mm-hmm. so I believe that when we're born, right? When we were conceived, when we were in our, in our mom's wombs, right? The ego didn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Where does the ego come from? Where does self-esteem come from? All of that, right? Both of those things, right? These are things that were basically constructed over time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so the ego, right? I believe the ego is basically a defense mechanism that we've had to build in order to survive. Think about it. If we were egoless, right, 
think about some of the things that like I could think about some of the parts of my life where I wouldn't be able to make any decisions. Right. Because at those points of my life, I didn't know who I was. Like, imagine knowing when you're like four years old that you have a true nature and you knew that true nature. Imagine how powerful that would be to be four years old and be like, and and knowing that, you know, your true nature is where you're most comfortable and you don't necessarily need an ego because you can just be who you need to, who you are from the core. Mm -hmm. So because we don't know the beauty of what we were built with, right? What we came with, the package that we came with, we start constructing things like the ego because we're thinking that that's going to protect us. And some people get very far with their ego because they've built up such a strong ego that they can kind of drive forward. For me, I've got far enough with my ego. And I realized that my ego was creating, when I look back, it created a really dark path right behind me. And so I had to evaluate that ego and say, "Mm, maybe you're not what I really needed. Maybe what I really needed was myself. And so when we go to our true nature, right, when we come back home, right, when we go back to when we were this tiny, precious baby, right, when nothing else really mattered, we realized that, number one, we have to love ourselves. Because when we love ourselves, it really doesn't matter if anyone else likes you, because that love is going to go out to the world. And so... If a person that's feeling that love doesn't like you, then there really is something going on with them that they can't accept your love. So the ego has no play there. And then that plays with the whole notion of self-esteem too, right? Because it says it's just fine if they don't, right? But the self-esteem is probably the closest thing that comes to your true nature, right? So like if you go like another step lower, then where are you? You're at your core. You're at who you're, you're at who you really are. So the ego for me, that's always going to be there because that's a part of me. That's something that I've built over time, just like my addiction. That's always going to be there. Right. And I've accepted those things, but I choose not to feed them anymore. I choose not to feed my ego. So when my ego does come up and says, Hey, how's it going? I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, I'm great. But you know what? I don't need you right now. I really don't need you to make me feel better because when you made me feel better, there was something else that came with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's such a short lived thing. Yeah. I rather feel the emotion from end to end, whatever it is. I rather let it pass through my body from end to end because that I believe is the natural process, which we were built to take on. I believe we were built to take on anything and everything that this world has to give us. Mm. We were built for it. We don't need any defense mechanisms like the ego, because like I said, the ego will take it on, but then there's a price that you need to pay. Yeah, for sure, man. And I feel like, you know, I I mean, this is all stuff that I'm still learning about and and, uh, continuing to look at, but you know, you had said the ego is something that gets constructed over time. And and it is like at such a young age, what we see is like our family, our parents, our family, and how they interact with the world and how they interact with us and how yeah. our surroundings, because as young children, really our brains aren't developed enough. We're just observing what's going on and what, what is 
I guess, quote unquote, normal for life in the surroundings. And I feel like for me, I learned from a young age, like about insecurity and being a people pleaser and, Mm -hmm. you know, all, all these different qualities that actually just grew my ego because I needed other things to feel fully fulfilled. Whereas really I just needed just a little bit more (laughs) self-love. Yeah. (laughs) You know, just, I needed to sit with myself more and, you know, be more honest with myself and detach from those things. You know, you know, something I struggled with for a long time was like feeling confused about my sexuality. And Mm. that's been something that I've been working deeply with, with my psychotherapist. And Mm -hmm. for me, I felt that being overly masculine and dominant was going to be my way of overcompensating that fear and those, those emotions and feelings. And what I found was when I was able to look at it and accept it and be like, let me just give myself a little bit more love in this area and understand it rather than avoiding it, then I was able to begin letting go of having to be something in order to, to mask something else, to mask pain that, mm-hmm. that wasn't necessary. And that, that's, for, that's for a whole, whole nother rabbit hole there. But dude, that, yeah, that is a whole, you're, you're diving into a whole new realm. <laughs> yeah. That is a whole new realm. And that touches on what we were talking about, like alpha male and all that stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It jumps right into it. And <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to table that, table that conversation because it's an important conversation to have because it ties well into the ego, but it's something that you have to be a very, you have to have walked somewhere inside of yourself in order to, to be able to speak. That's why I commend you for even bringing that up. Thank you. Right. Man. Because it's a very difficult path because for me, I was given a physical form as a male. That's the physical form that I was provided. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm physically attracted to women, right? But I find beauty in all. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the way that I'm wired is, yeah, I'm attracted to women, but I can find beauty in anything and everything. Yeah, totally. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be sexually <laughs> attracted to that thing because right. there was a point where I thought that's what it was. I thought, oh my gosh, yo, am I gay? But then, you know, as I, you know, sobriety has done so much for me. It's like, it's crazy. Like I'm I'm definitely, by the time this whole thing is all said and done, I'm going to write a book. Mm, (laughs) I have to, I I have to, because that's something that I was like, oh, what am I, what am I gay? What, Mm. all, all this stuff. But no, it wasn't that. What it is, is, there's a certain connection that goes beyond the, the physical form mm. that we all need to pay close attention to. Mm. Like, I believe that spirits do connect. Mm-hmm. I believe that spirits can, and if, if you're willing to allow it to, can connect. And so, and I don't know this, but I don't think spirits have genders. Mm. I don't think the thing that's driving us is, has a gender. Mm. So if the thing that's driving us doesn't have a gender and you connect with someone, that doesn't mean you have to connect with them sexually, Mm. right? But you're connecting with them on another level. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's where things get a little squirrely and we tend to shy away from it because I'm like, oh shit, why am I connecting with this dude like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, do I love him? <laughs> you know what I mean? But in the end, I've been able to explore that through sobriety, right? Because mm. I couldn't explore that with substances in my body. Mm. The brain becomes too skewed, mm-hmm. right? And we can't logically like figure out <laughs> where we are. Right. Right. So like I said, what you what you bring up is is very important and it could leave a lot of people confused. Yeah, man. You know, I it's nice to hear that because for a long time I was feeling like, damn, I must be the only one who's ever felt this way. And, <laughs> and for me, you know what it was was the moment that I felt like it was this big thing. I honestly feel like there's probably quite a few men out there who probably feel the same way. It wasn't until I was able to like openly just talk about it and be like, wow. Oh, okay. Like, even if that did end up being true, like, oh, okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay. You know? And it wasn't until that point that I felt like, ah, oh, my gosh, that's all I had to do was get that off my chest and just accept it rather than being like, oh man, I got to avoid this question. Yeah. It's coming up a so lot. Then- I'm going to. I'm going to avoid yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you got to hide it. It becomes a big secret because like if the world knows, you, you just, you feel exposed. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, one of the first steps is to be vulnerable to the world mm-hmm. so that you can have these conversations in a healthy setting. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah, like and then, right now, you know, two years ago, I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation. You know? Yeah. And it was actually, I mean, again, we'll go deeper into this because I really would like to share this. This story was... When Ashley and I were in California, that's why we had it split up originally Mm. was because I had basically said, Hey, like I've been confused for a long time. I don't really know. It's something I've never like talked about. And and it was just kind of like, there's so, so many details to the story. It wasn't just that simple, (laughs) but, um, you know, and it was really, really challenging, but it wasn't until I began looking deeper into that and working on that, that I was able to like more and more be free around whatever that feeling was. So I think that by sharing these things, just like we're talking about right now, it's like, this has a lot to do with emotional health and physical health and mental health and the whole nine, you know? It's the concept that I, that I like to, the way, the way I like to put it is my driver is my ultimate self. Mm. My ultimate self is that higher self that knows more than I know. (laughs) Right. It's my driver. So the minute I started to listen to that ultimate self, things started getting clearer and clearer. Because mm. like I said, the physical form is going to be naturally attracted to things. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Yeah. And, right. You know, it's, it's funny you said like that our souls, like you don't feel our souls have genders, right? That's what... It's yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've heard different people talk about past lives and, and souls because really how it's been explained to me in, in certain contexts into spirituality is like our souls go on into another lifetime, whether that's, you know, just to be another person and maybe learn the lessons that weren't learned or, you know, there's yeah. so many, that's a whole other rabbit hole in itself. Yeah, yeah. I've listened to podcasts of people who have done like past life regressions and, mm. you know, their soul was like an Asian woman. Yeah. See, three, yeah. three yeah. lifetimes ago or, yeah. you know, so it's like, that has nothing to do with the physical gender that has to do with like yeah. that higher power, 
you know, I, I would say, for example, like your and I's relationship or Pat and I's relationship or the people that I mesh and I bond with the most is like, there's a deeper connection than just friendship. It's like, Oh, yo, yep. we were supposed to meet some somehow. I don't know. Right. You might have you might have been my dad in in a past life or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm saying though? Yeah. And I try my best not to even label it, even in that perspective. I just purely see it as an energy. And that energy, if I allow it to, can speak to other energies. Yeah. And then I just leave it at that because that's the beauty of it. I don't want to mess with it because I know there's going to be a point, right? I know that there is a point which is which is called death, right? The transition where that will be revealed to us. Mm. And so I don't plan on dying anytime soon. So I got to enjoy this physical form, yeah. but I yeah. appreciate it when the ultimate self can make those connections. I'm grateful for that and I just leave it at that, you know what I mean? And you know, that's how I handle it because the minute I start further investigating that means my ego is coming into it and i need to know something and yeah. i'm trying to solve i'm trying to solve a mystery mm-hmm. right and then you know i bring up i'm gonna write a book but my book isn't i'm not gonna answer any questions i'm just gonna tell you my experience mm-hmm. right i'm just gonna tell you the things that i seen the and just knowing that i have an ultimate self mm-hmm. i'm not gonna tell you what it looks like because it's probably a different to everyone yeah yeah man two things is um you said something really good. I should have wrote it down. And then you said, well, I'll say the, the thing that I'm remembering in the moment is mm-hmm. I think writing a book the other day was thinking to myself, damn, you know, someday I'd probably enjoy writing a book just to like, I don't know, get it out there. The more that experience, life experience and, and education and in our industry, it's like, yeah. you know, it can be a beautiful thing and to kind of get out there and share that story. But you said something, man, I, I don't even know. I forget. <laughs> I can't even remember it. Yeah. Even my training has changed over the years. I've pushed myself harder than I've ever pushed myself in my life, but I'm not as emotionally or physically drained as I used Mm -hmm. to be. And I think I just attempt to be in that state where I allow my body to do what it does, but I allow my ultimate self to take control. And when I do that, it's it's an experience mm-hmm. in itself. That means I'm present. That means I'm here. I but what I was gonna say. Yeah, no, go ahead. So you had said that, like you just mentioned, that when you've been able to listen to your higher power, your higher self, and you know, the benefits it's had, like you just mentioned, your training and emotions and all this stuff was I was going to kind of come full circle and just say that the key important piece here is finding that piece and it's different for everybody. I'll speak for myself, but when I was able to start getting more in touch with, with like my truth, my soul, my high, mm-hmm. whatever it is, and I still don't even completely understand what it is yet. It's a practice yeah. Yeah. was for me. It was that meditation. It was self-reflection. It was personal development because I started mm-hmm. being exposed to these areas, having to work through difficult challenges to overcome certain fears and beliefs and habits and this and that but it's it wasn't until i started integrating those like journaling really taking time to breathe and that's when those areas are exposed to us because when when we are so distracted by life and we're both fathers we have full-time jobs we have you have a wife i have a girlfriend we got a lot going on we have friends we have the podcast we have training it's like 
yeah. it, we can easily get caught up in that and forget about ourselves. And yes. think that like, oh, my me time is the gym. Oh, my me time is yes. being with the family. But it's like, no, our me time is not. should be by ourselves alone. Correct. Nobody there. And those have been some of the most powerful moments is being alone with just myself and whatever the world, God, universe, yeah. you know, whatever higher power is out there. Yeah. yeah. When you just said you're, you're by yourself, but you're with the world, right? You're with the universe, right? I believe we have, I believe there's a superior being, right? That we're just all a part of. Mm. It's literally a vast ocean and we're just this tiny, little speck in the ocean, but we're still part of something very powerful, Mm. right? Which is why we see like these glimpses of very powerful humans on this earth, Mm -hmm. right? This is is why we get like figures like a Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. right? Because he wasn't any different from me and you, but there was something, he tapped into something. Yeah that allowed him to connect with the masses. Yes, on a deeper, deeper level. Correct. Just like how me and you connect at that Mm. next level, and it's not just a physical and a mental level, at that next level, Mm. right? Imagine doing that with millions and millions of people. Dude, that is my goal. (laughs) (laughs) And You know, like, it's like, I really believe that... We all like, you know, think of like all these and not, not just like, you know, I feel like Jesus Christ is like on a whole other level, (laughs) but you look at all these like extremely powerful people who have just made such a positive impact on the world. And it's like, most of those people, we all started out as just little babies. We all started out the same. We were born into this earth as pure beings. And I really believe that we can all create whatever we want and tap into a higher power and literally create whatever we want. And it's just about taking that time and figuring those things out. And that's where that that mindfulness and that that spending time alone is so important. Because then full circle, you can figure out anyone out there, listeners, you can figure out like for me, I figured out, oh, I don't need to like keep killing myself with lifting. Like, why do I want to, why do I want to like lift all these heavy weights? Oh man, I guess, I don't know. I, for me, I didn't really have a reason. It was like, I just yes. want to like look good and feel good and exercise because I know it's good for my health. You know? Mm-hmm. So that, that was a huge shift for me, but it took that taking time to, to just like be and figure it out, you know? Yeah. So man, yeah. Whew. it's a thing of beauty man i think the more we we walk the path the more we kind of take in and i've said this before it's great to read books and be like knowledgeable but i think it's more important to experience life and find those answers yourself Mm -hmm. because when you do and the book kind of validates what you found you're like oh i figured it out (laughs) And, and, you know, it's so powerful, dude, because I was thinking about that recently. It's like, we can read about something in a book all we want. We can talk to somebody all we want about something or, you know, Mm -hmm. even like the work I'm doing with my therapist, like, Mm -hmm. and and all the studying I do, like, 
it's like, yeah, I can get all this knowledge, but it's really not until I implement it, experience, I yes. figure out what works and what doesn't for me. Because exactly. what works for Tom Brady and Tony Robbins or the Dalai Lama, like, may not hey. work for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm the only me there is mm-hmm. in this entire universe. You know what yeah. I mean? We're all individualized and all our own people, at least in my belief. So. Oh, yeah. That means we all have different areas to tap into. And, and that's where like, literally this is perfect that like the ego knows everything yeah. and self-esteem and, or I wanted to say this earlier, also self-esteem could be like soul, like true self can yeah. learn from anyone. And that, that's so true, man. I believe yeah. that. I think we can learn from every single person and drop all the biases and the judgments and the bullshit. And we can, we can connect and thrive and love and everybody can thrive. Beautiful. So, Mike, amen to that. Amen, brother. (laughs) Amen to that.